What's up, everybody? We're back. This life ain't for everybody. Thank y'all so much for the support. Hope y'all are enjoying your summer. We are. A lot of lake time. It's been hot out west. Lots of 100-degree days, triple digits. But we're going to keep grinding, looking for the fall. Love to be outdoors. Been doing a lot of uh, wake surfing. I'm going to guess that my guest today is probably wake surfed. She's accomplished a ton. We're going to talk to her in just a second. Y'all are going to be floored by what this girl, this woman, this badass American badass has accomplished in her life. And I want to say a big shout out to Lear Toppers for being our presenting sponsor today. We travel a lot. We're on highways, interstates, freeways, dirt roads, back roads. We're seeing America North America continent, the way Mother Nature and the Lord upstairs intended for us to see it. And Lear keeps all of our gear, all of our dogs, all of our arsenal secure and safe out of the elements. L-E-E-R. Get them on your truck. The brand is expanding. I've been using the duffel bag a bunch. I, I, I try to work out as much as I can. And I've been carrying a lot of my workout gear in the new Lear duffel bag. It's tough. It doubles as a backpack. It's got great zippers on it. But everything that Lear does is quality. They don't cut corners. They support our culture. They support our first responders. They support our American armed forces and military, which we all should be on a daily basis, which brings me to my guest today. This I don't even know how to explain you. Um, I've You can read as much as you want on somebody, but you know I'm more of a word-of-mouth kind of cat. And Kirstie Ennis, um, I got to ask you this. First of all, thank you so much for your service. Thank you for everything that you stand for. Thank you for what you've done for our country, for our citizens, for our freedoms. I do not take it for granted. Our crew does not take it for granted. So Kirstie, first and foremost, with the introduction, Kirstie Ennis, presented by Lear Toppers, thank you for your service, ma'am. It was an honor to serve. Thank you. You said a quote one time that really floored me when I read it of your injury, which we will get into, that you are you feel fortunate that it happened to you and not somebody else, meaning that you served by your brothers and sisters and you were hurt. You were you were hurt in and I don't know how much you want to get into it. You've been very open. It's been documented. You've been filmed in the hospital um, during your amputation and the prosthetic. Where did you get that mentality? Take me back. You joined the Marines at 17 years old, Kirsty. Is it your mom and dad? Is it your uncle? Is it your grandparents? Where in the hell does this mentality come that you can give up yourself like this with such humility and dignity and honor and not cry and hide under a rock and say, oh, the world is mean to me. I'm a victim. And a lot of us do this. I've been guilty of this. This is a hard thing to get over, Kirsty. Where did this come from, this mentality? Well, um, I'll start by telling one of my favorite stories. Uh, you know, growing up, I was, in my opinion, one of the lucky ones. You know, my both of my parents wore the Marine Corps uniform like I did. And I just remember idolizing them and looking up to them. And, you know, my Barbie dolls wore, you know, dress blues and camis instead of princess dresses. And I, I'll never forget, like, uh, watching my mom walk across the parade deck in um, Paris Island, South Carolina. And I just remember just 
admiring so much throughout my entire life that they were willing to do so much. They were willing to do something bigger than themselves um, and give back in ways that most people will never understand. You know, they were sacrificing uh, not only their time, but their families, uh, their livelihoods in some ways. And um, I just knew that at some point in my life, I wanted to make them proud of me. Like I was you know, proud of them. And um, I won't lie. I was a pain in the ass kid <laughs> for uh, 17 years of my life until I decided to join the Marine Corps. And uh, from that moment on, it's something that I just knew that I was going to do. You know, every single day it was, you know, what do I have to do to be able to join the Marine Corps like my parents? And, um, you know, I, that's, while it's only a chapter of what I've done, it's definitely one of the proudest ones that I have. And, um, you know, I ended up joining and I was a helicopter door gunner and airframes mechanic. And throughout the six years that I was able to serve, you know, I wanted to serve a lot longer. Um, you know, I was just proud to be able to say that I'd be willing to give everything. I'd be willing to lay my life down for the man or woman that stood to my left or white, left or right, stranger or not. Um, and I really think that it, it came from them. And the night that I got hurt on June 23rd, 2012, um, you know, I never, I, I never hesitated um, in, in any of it. You know, the moment that I could hear my pilot screaming, um, you know, I, all I was worried about was where was my tail gunner? So, um, and, and throughout all of it, it was, you know, the hardest thing that I ever had to do was leave my guys behind when I had to be shipped back home um, to the United States and leave my guys back in Afghanistan. That was the hardest part for me or being told that I was going to be forced into a medical retirement, not wanting to get out because, you know, that brotherhood, that community, that family that I had in the Marine Corps, that's what I was living for. Um, and those were the hardest moments throughout. But at the same time, you know, I really feel like you know, God gave it to me because he felt like I could um, deal with it maybe a little bit better or maybe because I needed to be, you know, given this gift of being to, to overcome so many different adversities. So I've just really chosen or chosen to, to be able to shift my perspective about what happened to me and even what was going on um, at the time. Let's talk about a, a, a word that has a lot of different definitions and levels fear fear is something that can happen at all different ages all different maturity levels in our life um at six flags i watched people be fearful of the new batman ride when you hear stories like that of fear how does somebody with your mentality Talk. I know you do a lot of motivational speaking, Kirsty. That helicopter ride, going over there, landing on the sand in Afghanistan, knowing what's going on with firefights and 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 war. This is war. This is not sugarcoated. This is people die in war on a daily basis. What does that word fear mean to you um, as you've established yourself of pretty much not having any? Or do you have fear? Was any of this scary to you? And how does one combat that feeling of fear? So there's, there's definitely two sides of that for me. Um, you know, I, I really, again, I think I've always viewed fear as an energy or kind of like a motivation, like ride that wave of fear because you have no idea what it's going to catapult you into. You have no idea what it's going to lead you to. But that said, um, you know, through my recovery, so just I'll preface this a little bit more for people who may not know a ton of my story. 
Uh, my helicopter went down that I was manning. And as a result of the crash, I sustained some pretty severe injuries, everything from the loss of my left leg. I broke my back. I I've had 46 surgeries to rebuild my face, my arms, my ears, uh, everything um, was really pretty much disrupted. And through all of it, I don't think I ever was fearful of what my future was going to hold with the exception of not being able to have the Marine Corps anymore. So like the fear that I know is, is being perceived as you know, a failure or not being able to um, you know, provide for my family or my loved ones. So again, I think a lot of that comes down to being able to shift your perspective around fear. Like I think fear is learned. Um, you know, some people, like you said, it might be a roller coaster. It might be getting on the road, uh, getting on the highway, uh, fearful of a car crash, whatever it may be. But if you can lean into that fear and learn how to use that energy and absorb it, it's going to teach you so much more than you ever even dreamed of. Do you, I got to ask you this because of the society we live in and you fought for our freedoms. And then when we're back here, on American soil, living life as we know life, you know, we wake up every day and we're free because of men and women like yourself. And we have this, we have this machine out there right now called social media. How do you personally feel about the rug or the wool that can be pulled over people's eyes and how it doesn't look like there's any fear. It doesn't even look like there's any sadness or gloominess or darkness or depression. It's all everybody's happy and I'm the best. I'm getting the most likes. I'm the sexiest girl on the beach. I'm the best hunter in the world. I'm the, I'm this, I'm the best cook. It's like you go on TikTok or you go on Instagram, you can go on any of them and everybody's somebody now. And I understand that we all have the right to do that. How do you personally view this with your accomplishments? Somebody that literally lives it. You, the proof is in the pudding, Kirsty. You've almost died in war. You were hugely injured in war. You 46 surgeries later to reconstruct your entire body. You've lived it. What is it easy for you to just look at that and go, Oh, that's okay. That's what I fought for. No. So social media has been a huge power struggle in, in my life. So I wanted nothing to do with it uh, for the longest time. Uh, but in 2015, I was competing in um, border cross and bank solemn, so snowboarding alongside Team USA. And it was one of those things where, you know, social media had already been there and it was already, you know, m generating millions and billions of dollars for people. But, you know, I was basically kind of cornered into people saying, you're going to have to have social media to be anybody in the, in the sports world. And so whatever, I did the dance for a little while. And then I started just realizing how fake it all was. Um, and that was the part that bothered me. And that was the part that I feel like there's, there's such a total demise in, in who we are as people and who we are as a society, because everybody's living behind a screen. Nobody's really able to communicate one-on-one -on -one anymore. Nobody's having these uncomfortable again, raw, you know, vulnerable conversations. Everybody, like you said, is putting out the happy pictures or the smiling faces or the happy family that might be falling apart, the vacations, whatever, it else, whatever else it may be. And then the people looking at it are comparing their lives to them. So in turn, people are living false lives and then other people are trying to jeopardize who they really are to live these false lives and to compare themselves to, to these other people. And so I said from, you know, basically day one that when I, when I'm doing this, 
social media shit, <laughs> and I believe it shit, um, that it was going to be real and raw. Like I have no problem going on, uh, you know, Instagram or Facebook and, and telling the real story of what happened or talking about my failures or talking about how, uh, you know, two weeks ago I ran the slowest race of my life and it was embarrassing because it was in front of 15,000 people. But I'd rather talk about that than people see a picture of me on top of a mountain and thinking that, you know, anybody can go out there and do it because that's not the case. There's so much work and energy and time and resources that go into, um, like you said, the people who are really living these things and doing these things. Uh, so I, it's, it's something that I really struggle with. Um, and I try to be very mindful about who I follow online and who I'm like, you know, looking at through my feeds, because there are some people out there that, um, you know, they're, they're out there to influence <laughs> and that's it. And they're not really living their life. Uh, they're just trying to look good in front of a camera and push a product or push a mentality instead of building people up, instead of reminding people that, you know, we have no idea what we're capable of until we actually go out there and do it. And guess what? We're not doing anything if we're sitting behind, you know, an Instagram feed or a Facebook feed or Twitter, or any of it. So yeah, that was a passionate one for me. <laughs> no, I, I, I could tell, I could tell without ever meeting you in per person that just talking to you for seven or eight minutes that <laughs> I, I needed to know because there's a huge difference in life of, of accountability. And like you said, the screen of, I don't know if I necessarily need to use the word hide behind it, but I think that when you start talking about credibility and accountability and how people are living their lives is like, who are we really fooling? You could fool the rest of the world all you want, but if you continue to fool yourself because you think you're somebody because of likes, that's a crazy mindset to me. It, it's, it, it's almost, I've said this before and I don't know how you feel about this, but I think that legitimacy and authenticity is being lost on a daily basis of you can't sit across the table and converse with somebody anymore. You can't negotiate anymore because the person you're talking to literally has no idea how, how to hold a conversation anymore because this is how people are being trained. But on the other scope, people that do have that meant that ability to do that, what you and me are doing right now, talking face to face is, is there authenticity in that? Everything has to be shared. Like I've looked at all oh, my baby's first steps. I don't care. That's for you and your husband and your mom and your dad and the aunts and the uncles to cherish and to relish it. Oh, I went to St. Jude's today and I'm a celebrity and look at my pictures with these kids that are bald headed and sick. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. That's not authentic. That's just for the, that's your posing. Like now I get it. Does St. Jude's need the, the, the marketing and the people to donate money to keep fighting for these kids? Hell yes. But to me, the social media authenticity model is destroying the fabric of what somebody like you can accomplish of saying like, I'm literally out here motivating people that you can kick ass in life. But the authenticity of that comes with the credibility, the experiences and the legitimacy of how you've lived your life. Social media is allowing it to be like raw, raw, look at me. And I don't like that. I don't like the fact that these kids are bald headed and have 10 surgeries to cure their cancer and radiation and chemo treatments. And now all of a sudden it's okay for them to be on a celebrity's photo vault just because they were invited into the hospital to make these kids smile, put the cameras away, put it away. Yeah. Like there's, is there any legitimacy anymore? Because it's like, 
hey, Dwayne Johnson, you could have just went in there and kept that a secret all day. The Rock doesn't have to show everybody in the world that he's in St. Jude's. I don't know if that's the wrong feeling, but that's what goes through my body when I first see that kind of stuff. Well, and I, I am, I'm right there with you. I mean, don't get me wrong. There, there are times that obviously through my foundation, we post pictures of the mountain biking clinics and the veteran clinics and the amputees climbing and stuff. So on one hand, um, on a much smaller scale, obviously, like I do have to do some of that. On the flip side of that, I think social media has totally enabled moral masochism. You know, people, people think it's cool to go do something nice because they get to take a photo with somebody. People think it's cool to go climb a mountain nowadays because they get to take the summit photo at the top, not because they're passionate about the people they're trying to help, the mission, the vision, whatever that may be, or, you know, going out and doing these things and, and derailing um, in entire communities, essentially, because they think it's going to be cool for one photo because they are worried about the likes and the comments, the reshares, the reposts, whatever that is, to make them feel better about themselves. Um, and so that's the part that bothers me. If, if somebody had their heart, if, if what somebody does is totally committed to, we'll just say a nonprofit or again, some kind of organization or a cause, and, and you can prove to your point, the, you know, the credibility side of it, that they've been doing this for a long time. This is who they are. This is built into their business, whatever that is. And then for the one person to, you know, brag on what they do every year around Thanksgiving or Christmas, that's the part that strikes a nerve with me. Because again, it's not about doing the right thing. It's just, it's just getting the pat on the back. It's, It's trying to prove to everybody else that you're right instead of actually doing the right thing. Okay. Well, I want your complete transparency and honesty, Kirsty, because I know how honest you are and what you've put out there. (laughs) You're, you, you've, you've been, you've put yourself in, in as a vulnerable state as a human being can put themselves in. Like you've showed the worst of the worst, the lowest of the lows, not so you could show that you've made it. And now you're a celebrity or you're becoming rich. I'm not saying that you are. I'm simply saying that your vulnerability has shown people that this is life. This is what really happens to people that put their lives on the line. And this is the magic that can come out of it. I love that part of it, but I want a complete and honest answer, not thinking that you would ever give me anything, but (laughs) do you ever catch yourself scrolling and living vicariously through somebody? And when you do that, as much as you've accomplished, as much fear as you've pressed down, as many battles as you've been in, both personally, overseas, fighting for our freedoms, to fight for your health and your physicality, do you ever go, damn, I, that, that looks like a nice vacation. Wow, that house is better than mine. Wow, that water is way bluer than the lake I swam in or the frog pond that I was in the other day. Catch, like, Do you catch yourself, even though you know it's wrong to be having these thoughts how screwed up or messed up is this that somebody with your ability and stability, you're shaking your head. Yes, you've been there, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. I, almost every morning, you know, you wake up, you're having your morning coffee. I'm looking out the window, playing with my big ass Rhodesian Ridgeback. And then sure as shit, I'll pick up my phone and I'll start scrolling. And um, it's one of the things that I have noticed um, if I don't have a routine and if, if I'm not holding myself accountable and being fully aware and conscious of what I'm doing, it's so mindless. Um, and it, it's a, totally embarrassing to say, but I, I know that we all do it. And, and, and on one hand, it gives me kind of some inspiration or like, hey, 
cool to do check out Ama de Blanc when you're scrolling through or, you know, a big mountain when you're scrolling through or, you know, look at what this other guy, this other mountaineer is doing. Look at this other, this other hunter. What is he doing? Like, so on one hand, it's, it's almost like a healthy competition because I'm like either A, good for him or her, you know, raising awareness for things that they're passionate about and going out there and crushing a goal or even like going against the grain <laughs> for a lot of us out, outdoorsmen. Um, but there is... I mean, there is probably at least a third of the time where it really is coveting what somebody else has or what somebody else has, has going on or what, what else can I do to my truck <laughs> or, uh, you know, again, what's the next hunt? So um, it, it really is. And, and I have no problem saying that it is unhealthy. Like we should work on being totally present. Um, but I also think that there can be, a, if within reason, there can be a very healthy thing that comes from social media if it's a, like, if you're in a position to not be comparing your life to, you know, some of these celebrities, some of the people who are being fake and frauds, um, you know, if, if you're following what your buddies are doing, they have 600 followers and you were saying, you know what, rock on or supporting a family friend or whatever that is, that's fine. Um, but it has to be, uh, within reason, like there has to be boundaries and it's something that I, I have to work on too. I think we all do when you start talking about the words you said earlier, when you miss the brotherhood, the sisterhood of the military of what it means to fight next to somebody, stranger or friend um, on the same kind of conversation that we're going down this rabbit hole with, with uh, social <laughs> media, Kirstie Ennis's complete, honest and transparent view of soldiers and warriors that do make it back to American soil when so that there's a lot of us that, that have it. There's a lot of our brothers and sisters that have perished in theater. Is it okay to get the book deal to tell the story or the Hollywood movie or to generalize and say, I'm the one that killed bin Laden, not saying any names. I don't care that they've done it. I've been around enough special forces. I've been in the duck blind with enough amputees, double amputees, guys that have lost their short-term memory, guys that can never drive a freaking car again that have been on 130 missions as, as a Navy SEAL or a Marine sniper. Is it okay that these movies are being made and that millions of dollars are being made at the account of these soldiers that have perished in a helicopter accident in Marcus Luttrell's movie or the the, the Lone Survivor, um, or, or Bradley Cooper's movie about, um, I'm talking a lot right now. Help me out. Help me out with Chris. Chris <laughs> Kyle. With Chris Kyle. Gosh dang it. But is it okay? Is it okay that Bradley Cooper portrayed him and he did a great job? I've never watched it, but I've heard that he was in character. He had his headphones. He had the exact playlist that Chris Kyle listened to when, he's, when he was training in the gym. They look like Chris Kyle. What is Kirstie Ennis's view of this? Because you have lived this life and you do have a fake leg, a prosthetic leg because of a military accident overseas in Afghanistan. But there are people that are taking all the credit, in my opinion, it seems. Or is it okay to tell the story? Uh, see that? Yeah, that's another one where I'm, I'm kind of on the fence on. Um, because if someone goes into it with the, the right intentions or with the right passion and love for the military um, and our country, and they're telling the, the real story of what happened, then that's one thing. Um, 
And because I do believe that we need to tell those stories. We need to share those stories because 10 years from now, no one's going to care about what's happened unless people are talking about it. So um, maybe there's a better answer as far as how to communicate our history, the current stuff. I don't know what's being written in textbooks anymore. I don't have kids, but I, I remember what I was being taught and I feel like a lot of it was lost um, over time. And so it's something that it should be circulated. It really should. The story should be circulated. I don't have an answer for what's the best way to go about it, whether that's, you know what, we need to start doing only documentaries. We need to start having the, you know, all of the units or all of the teams or all of the squads, whoever sit down and tell their own version of each story and then be able to like present that to the public so people can get all of the perspectives. I don't know. That said, for an individual to go forth, um, and I don't want to say take credit, um, but for, for an individual to go forth and, and write an entire book, pers- like, for example, about a certain mission or what they did, and if credit is not given where it's due, and they are not giving back to that community that you know stood alongside them or their brothers and potentially sisters that fought that fight with them, I have an issue with it. Um, and it's only because, you know, I've had book deals presented in front of me. I've had, you know, uh, people to offer, um, you know, life rights, movie rights um, to tell my story. And all they want to do is they want to tell the story of the Marine Corps. But to me, it's there's so much more to one person's life than just that. Um, and so I've shot it down every single time because that that time in the Marine Corps isn't something that I care to make any any money off of. I did it because my heart was in it, because I loved what I did. I loved the people around me and I loved the Marine Corps, loved my country, period. Isn't that, the, isn't that the creed that all of our soldiers, <laughs> men and women take that they don't, no. here, when you, <laughs> but when, when you become a college athlete, you know, before some of the new NCAA rules, when I was an NCAA athlete back in the nineties, we weren't allowed to have a job. We weren't allowed to make extra money. And we went into yeah. that scholarship with an understanding of this, that we would be in violation and we would have to be suspended or sit out a season. If we went against those policies set forth by the, NCAA. When you take the ultimate creed of sacrifice to serve our country, I'm not saying you've made the ultimate sacrifice because that's completely different, giving up your life, but taking that creed and doing that takes big cojones, okay? But I would think that there's an understanding that there is, I've talked to admirals that have told me there's, there's an understanding that that stuff doesn't happen. So I'm not questioning it or judging at all. I'm just simply asking you, like, why is it okay for somebody to become a celebrity and rich when they took the same creed that you did to go serve our country? You don't go into the military thinking you're going to become a millionaire or the mindset of like, well, I deserve to make money off of this. I just gave the, I just you know, went into the military. You're supposed to go in with the, the freedom of mind of saying, I am here to serve. And now all of a sudden you're back, you've served, but now it's okay when all of your other brothers and sisters aren't getting the same opportunity. That's where I question it. It's like, you made a comment, well, let's sit us all down and document it then and get all of our opinions or however we're going to present this to the American public so they know the history. It's a tough one for me. It's a real yeah. tough one because I've talked to guys that are as high up in the in, in special forces as you can get that say I would never in my entire life even think about doing that. And they've seen it all. Well, and, and so when I say that, that was totally to say there, there shouldn't be one person from one unit that gets to make millions of dollars when everybody else is fucked because they don't want to, you know, speak their truth about what happened to them. 
some of the things that, I mean, there are going to be things that I take to my grave, period. The only person who knows at least 90% of my stories from the military is my dad. There are certain things that, yeah, you know, there, there should be an unspoken law where like, you know, if, if there's a fellow that wants to go and make, make a bunch of money off of a book or from Hollywood, he should have to sit those guys down and say, are you guys okay with this? Because now I'm going to air out your dirty laundry. And I think that's probably my biggest issue with it is he or she is willing to drop dimes on everybody else or take all of the credit that again is owed to other people and then reap the benefit. That said, if they can reap the benefit while including everybody else and everybody else is on the same page and they want to be a part of it, then whatever, so be it. But you also better figure out a way to give back to that community in the big, like in the long run, then also figure out how to grow a better community later on down the road. I do not like the fact that there are so many people out there that are willing to make all this money, do all these things, but they don't give a shit about any of it anymore because they have a DD-214 in their hands. You know, they're, they're going to collect that paycheck and they're going to keep moving on with their life. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is a tricky one. I wouldn't do it. I have what I would take to the grave, like I said. Um, unfortunately, there are always going to be, pe- to be people that do it. Um, but I always like picture, I, said, I would picture you and your mom and dad in, an, <laughs> in, a, in a theater in New York City watching the Kirstiana story. And I don't think that your mom and dad would want to see that. I, I question the, the fact that if Chad Belding watches it, I can maybe get through it. Oh my God, a helicopter went down, but Holy shit to know that you live that. And you were there when that fire is burning and your back is broke and your leg is smoked and your mom is sitting there. I've heard stories of these movie premieres of these movies that we are uh, discussing right now where the, the, the mothers and fathers of those, of those being played out by these characters and by actors, the moms are sitting there going, my son would never talk like that. Uh, they, he would never say anything like that. He would, they wouldn't act like that. She would never do that. So what are we really doing? We're showing this Hollywood glamor of box office success based on the sacrifice of the ultimate creed to put your hand and say, I'm in, I'm on that helicopter. I'm going across. I've never served Kirsty. I ask every soldier, male or female that I hunt with or, or associate with, do you look down on people like me that have never served or, or entered the military? They're like, hell no. But here I am sitting on the other side of the table, talking to somebody that almost gave the ultimate sacrifice. 46 surgeries later, I'm asking, I, or I'm sitting here telling you, Kirsty. I don't think I could have my mom and dad go through that. I don't think that they deserve to go through that or have to be put in that position of like, Hey, it's a movie premiere. The actors are going to be here. We're up for awards. I don't want to see Chris Kyle get killed again, knowing I was there. I was in the a building that day when it was announced of what happened when we, I think it happened in January during the shot show, I believe it was, or NWTF. I can't remember what show was going on, but I remember the announcement being made and just to know that that happened after what he did for our military. And now it's, it's literally at everybody's fingertips to watch again. That's a weird feeling to me. It's I've, yeah. I, I've, I've been, I've been quoted as saying this and I'm sorry for being long winded, Miss Kirsty, but <laughs> I don't watch since, since full metal jacket, I have never watched a war movie because I've always had this mentality. <laughs> I've always had this mentality that that's not right. That's not real. 
That is, I don't care how real Tom Hanks was and what they say in Saving Private Ryan. I, that was the last time I was invited to one and I walked out in the first five minutes because I was like, I don't want to see this. The military means too much to me. I respect it, but I don't want to see it. I don't, I don't think it's right. So anyway, it's, I'm not on a soapbox. I'm simply saying it's a weird feeling to me that your mom would have to sit there and watch her daughter's accident being portrayed out again in that sort of fashion. Well, and I'm the same way. I don't like to watch those movies. I mean, you, there's no way in hell I'm going to sit down and watch Black Hawk Down. You know, there, there's like way too many things that I'm either going to critique or there's way too many things that will bring up, you know, a memory that maybe I don't want to relive. I mean, there's a laundry list of things. It's not something that I, I care to, you know, spend my time doing or watching. You know, in a book, uh, that could lead to a whole other conversation. But for the movies and for the sake of what you're talking about, like, I would not want to put my mom through that. I've had the conversations of what my mom had to deal with when my dad picked up the phone and they said, Hey, your baby girl's coming home. Thank God it's not in a box. But like, I've seen like my mom go, you know, ghost white. And I've seen those emotions and I I would never want to put that in front of her. So even the things that I'm doing now, and kind of like I mentioned earlier when we started talking is, you know, I am so proud of the chapter of my life that it is and was the Marine Corps, you know, but moving forward, there's so many other things that people can use the Marine Corps to do. And so the story that I want to tell isn't of, you know, over and over again of this helicopter going down and how my life sucked and, you know, reliving that, what is it now, almost nine years later? No, I don't want to do that. Um, But I also have no problem talking about, hey, this is a brief moment of my life. This is what defined who I am. And there are a lot of things that I learned from the Marine Corps to teach me how to be the leader that I am now. But that also is what took my life from, again, being in the Marine Corps to everything that I'm doing now. You know, had I not gotten hurt, had I not gotten injured, I wouldn't be doing the things that I'm doing now. That said, there are so many almost sacred and emotional pieces of that entire time that I, the entire time that I was in the Marine Corps period, that six years. But especially during, from the moment, you know, in 2012, when I got over to Afghanistan, that whole deployment, from the moment that that helicopter went down and I got sent home, there are so many sacred and emotional pieces to it that I would never give that up, probably because I'm too afraid to face them myself, let alone have to make everybody else who was involved have to endure it as well. Um, I think there's ways to go about that. And again, you know, like we were talking about being able to have conversations and share those stories that way. There's ways to document um, some of it, but I don't think, you know, again, the Hollywood glamour is the, is the appropriate way to go about it. When you, when you talk about what you're doing now, hopefully this comes out right, Miss Kirsty. <laughs> just because you went through all of that, 46 surgery, everything that you've done, it doesn't give you the right to judge somebody like me or your next door neighbor for being down about their cat dying or their boyfriend breaking up with them or any other darkness that somebody that might not have had the amount or the level of darkness that Kirstie Ennis has had. You can't judge me because I'm sad. So when I see somebody like you or Goggins, I watched a video from Dave the other day about 
so that fits my mentality perfect. And it, uh, where I'm going with this, Miss Kirsty, is you've accomplished these mountains and these climbs, the seven highest peaks on this on the continents. You're 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 getting done before the end of this year is what your goal is. You've done you've competed in snowboarding and all of this stuff with a prosthetic leg that you've you're you're on a different level. David Goggins might be on a different level. I listen to people's messages like yourself or Goggins, and he's like, well you got to find a way to pick yourself back up. You might be going through this kind of darkness. Like me, I'm sitting here going, man, I don't know. Like I'm kind of bored. I just accomplished this. I just did this. And I didn't even get the high off of it. I didn't even get that feeling of like the adrenaline rush of, Oh my God, I just got that deal done. Oh my God. I just, I just got the hunt here. Oh my God. I just got to go here. It's almost like you become immune to it. And what David was telling me was like, that's a form of darkness too. That's a form of you better find a way to get freaking fired up again because life is not going to wait for you. It's going to kick your ass. And I'm sitting here going, that's why I'm sad some days because I don't think that I'm challenging myself enough. Where are you at with that, Kirsty? How do you know that you just climbed a 19,000 foot mountain? You're going to rest for a week and go do it again go do it again. Oh, wow. I climbed another mountain. Like, do you, where do you find the motivation? Because a mountain is a mountain. Okay. It's, it's a mountain. I know that I, I know that you, you understand I'm not judging you. I'm asking you where, how the, how the hell are you going to find motivation in anything else in life? Because you've already done the most challenging shit in life. And that's what Goggins' message was, was you better find a way because everybody has different levels of this going on in their life. I hope my question makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, okay, and I think I have two parts. <laughs> I'm going to address two different things in that. I think pain and darkness, um, having a bad day, it's all relative. Like no one's going to ever be able to feel my physical pain because they're not me. I'm not going to be able to feel your heartache because I'm not you. I'm not, you know, married to whoever you're married to. I don't have the kids that you have. Like everybody's life. Um, again, that's where I, I think we tie back to all like comparing our lives to one another. And, and for me, like if you're having a bad day, have a bad day, be patient with yourself, lean into that because I have them all the time. Lord knows I have them all the time. Second part of that. Still. Still. You still have bad days. Oh yeah. All the time. even though you've had like the worst days yeah but but no and who's to say like we have no idea what we're capable of yet because we've only been through what we've been through so who's to say that that worst day that i've had worst day isn't there's not going to be something that's going to be worse that happens or the painful day or again the bad day the sad day just because i've made it this far it doesn't mean i've hit my threshold nobody else has hit their threshold you know um and so and that's why i like to you know, get on social media and be open and honest about that because it's not perfect. It's not pretty. You know, the last post I made was about being sick and wanting to turn around on Denali between wanting to shit myself and puke at the same time. Like, like I want to be so open and real with everybody that they realize that like, it's okay. <laughs> like, it is totally okay to be riding the roller coaster of life period. Um, and then like the second part of what you were saying I mean, it goes hand in hand with what I was just saying. Like, sure, I climbed a 19,000-foot mountain, but guess what? There's another 27,000-foot mountain out there that I want to be a part of. Or, you know, there's the whole mentality of wanting to leave a legacy. Just because I climbed that one 19,000-foot mountain doesn't mean that there's somebody else out there like me who, you know, doesn't want to climb it. Why am I not training that person and sharing what I know and the resources that I have or tools that I have with that person so that they can go forth and climb that 19,000-foot mountain? So I think, like, Sure. I mean, everybody can put all of these 
you know, these accomplishments or these drops in their bucket. Um, but I mean, it's never going to be full. I mean, if you are really seeking to live a life um, that, that you can look back on and say, you know what, I live my life for the fullest. Like when I go out, I'm going to, you know, die living. Like that's what I'm seeking out. Um, and I think some of the more like, some of the most impactful things that I've done or the things that I'm most proud of don't even have anything to do with the mountains. They have like everything to do with the people on the mountains. And, um, you know, I'm seeking out, you know, what's the experience, what's the lessons that I can learn through this journey? Who, who are the lives that can like, who are the people who can come into my life and how can I, you know, impact other people's lives period. Um, do I love suffering? Absolutely. I love going out in those mountains. I love running these stupid races. Uh, I love, you know, doing the endurance, um, everything, mountain biking, swimming at this point. Um, but it's not just about like that end game. Like, I don't care if I turn around or if I fail anymore. It's about everything else that went into it, you know, beforehand, during the people that were a part of it. Um, and that's what you gain the most from all of it. I, I, um, don't get me wrong. I am super guilty of being like, Hey, I just climbed Denali. What's the next one going to be? But nine times out of 10, it's not because it's going to be that summit flag photo or, you know, you know, a high five and on the top of a mountain, it's going to be because there's going to be such a powerful story and so much that I'm going to learn about myself and the people around me more than anything. You know, one of the hardest things that I ever had to do was learn how to turn around and accept failure and say, you know what, I can use that failure as an opportunity. And I think that's been the biggest blessing in this because I have no problem saying I screwed this up. I'm not perfect, but how do I get a little bit closer to, you know, being perfect or being successful? Um, so, I mean, I think it's all, it really comes down to the lessons learned. Um, With being so used to people walking up to you and being <clears throat> influenced, inspired, or motivated by you when you do accomplish one of your unbelievable tasks, there's so many of them that you've accomplished do you ever look for the negative in anything? Do you ever find yourself getting down? Because if you look backwards when you're climbing that mountain, you're going to get smoked. You, you're not going to make it. You got to stay positive, even though there's a ton to adhere on there, a ton of adversity, but there's also adversity in everyday life. So when you're off that mountain and you're sitting in your home, do you find yourself going, wow, I'm getting down about shit that is so minuscule compared to the things that I've had, I've been faced or had the opportunity to be down about or negative about or fearful about. Do you ever find yourself as a, as a young woman in a, in, in this world, like getting down about stuff that you just go like, holy shit, pick yourself back up, Kirsty. Oh, well all the time. Well, and, and just so everybody else knows, like I am the most awkward person about taking a compliment. <clears throat> um, half the time I just start crying and say, stop being nice to me. Like, let's just keep going on about our lives. <laughs> like we have, we can have a different conversation, but there's also still times where I, so I'm sitting in my wheelchair right now. You know, most of the time people don't see me in my wheelchair. You know, they see me either on crutches or they see me with my prosthetic on. But I mean, you better believe like when I look down and I don't see a leg there or when my silly self tries to go down and like put a sock on the leg, that's not there. Or I see the scars that you know, like, cover my face and the rest of my body like there are so many things for me to like have a constant reminder of how different I am than how I was which in turn goes into this crazy mentality of being able to again that comparison factor that we were talking about comparing who I am now to who I was before I got hurt you know how much faster better stronger was I at 23 years old before all of these you know life changes happen um so I mean 
I mean, I do it all the time and with everything. Like we are, well, I am my own harshest critic. Like I am my own worst enemy. I mean, the entire time up Denali, I, I had no, no shame. You know, I cried out of frustration and telling myself like, you are disabled. You know, there, there isn't, you know, room for you on this mountain right now. You are moving too slow. You are not good enough to be out here. And sometimes again, kind of like tying back into the fear, like I was telling myself that, but I was also telling myself that to make myself angry enough to be better and to be successful. So, I mean, but I do it with, with all things in my businesses, my home life. Like it's, it's so easy to beat ourselves up and, and have those bad days. And I honestly, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Like, I think that if it's something that's either habitual or something that, um, you know, needs to be addressed obviously by a medical professional because it's been ongoing and it's consistent and it's constant all the time. Yeah. But I also think these bad days are a really good reality check of, like you said, how far we've either come or the things that we've overcome and putting things into perspective about what really matters in our lives. Do you, do you feel in your heart that you would be this motivated in life if it were not for the accident. Now, I understand that if it wasn't for the accident, you would probably more than likely still be serving. You might even have a full-time job in the military for the rest of your life. But one thing led to another and shit happens. I don't say that lightly either because I know what you're, you, the shit you went through is not light, but you have the mentality of like, hey, it's time to get on and move on. Do you think you'd be this motivated in life and, and, and wanting to climb every mountain you see the old analogy, if you can't go over it, go under it, go around it, all that shit, you go over it. You'd probably go through it if you had to, (laughs) but do you think you'd be, have this mindset if it wasn't for the injury? No, I don't. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I've, I've always tried to do a little bit more, be a little bit better every single day. Like, and that, that was something that I carried through my entire life. You know, I was done with high school by 15. I did two years of college by 17, joined the Marine Corps. I worked my way through three masters, you know, while I was still in the Marine Corps, like I was always, I always wanted to challenge myself, but it was never, um, in ways that made me truly uncomfortable. And it was never in ways that were in every way for like, potentially for other people, you know, don't, I joined the Marine Corps to serve. Like I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to wake up every day and be proud of what I was doing you know, for other people. But now I can say that these injuries have led me down a path where I can, I, can, I truly live my life for other people. Like everything that I do now at this point has either been to like to support somebody else or to give somebody else the opportunities that I've had in my life. I, whether that's education, whether that's healing, the outdoors, you know, I don't think I would be that person. I've always had a big heart. I've always tried to push myself, but it's always, it's always just been like a check in the box. It's never really going above and beyond and, you know, trying to either set a precedence or really trying to leave a legacy or really give something of value to other people. I mean, I know that's like probably sounds strange being in the military and serving, but and I go through my days and I'm like, hey, you know what? If I can make five people smile today or if I can have five conversations that might have value or make an impact on someone's life, that's my life. And that's been a great day for me. Um, and I have never been that way ever. Like, I have never sought out truly being uncomfortable to make myself better or to make the people around me better. Hopefully that makes some sense. No, it makes it makes total sense. So can you hear me good right now? 
Yes. Can you, you hear me good? <laughs> I could, you, you started to freeze up for a second, but you're better now. Do you think that going back to the first word that we started our conversation on, fear, the real four-letter F word is, are you scared of anything ever in your life? Are you scared that you'll, I don't know your personal life and I'm not trying to intrude. I'm just going to ask questions that, that yeah. and you, uh, are you scared that you don't have kids? Can you ever have kids? Are you scared that you're never going to find the love of your life because of the way you question your physical appearance after all of the surgeries? Are you, are you, are you scared to die after you almost did after you've watched so many die are you scared of anything anymore after this kind of life takes this place in such a short amount of time i mean you're barely what 30 so how old are you 30 30 years old you've had all of this happen three ma three master's degrees graduated high school by 15 two years of college by 17 almost died and perished in war amputee climbed all these mountains is there anything that does make you go holy shit, if this doesn't happen in my life, man, this, that ain't going to be right. Or do you question any of that? Or is it all the man upstairs plan? One of the things that I've learned again through all this is it really is a man upstairs. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe, like I said earlier, that it was given to me. He gave it to me for a reason because he thought that I, I would either gain something from it or because I needed it and somebody else couldn't, you know, overcome it or, at this point, you know, I, I tried to commit suicide on my one year anniversary of, of my alive day or, or the anniversary of me getting hurt. I cheated death after a life threatening uh, MRSA infection. I have like, I should not be, if you look at every, all of my injuries and everything else that I have going on, I should not be doing what I'm doing. My brain should not be functioning the way that it is. I mean, the last, I was just looking up at my brain results or my brain scan results from November 3rd, 2020. And it's talking about, you know, vascular dementia and this, you know, hugely high risk of all of these things with my brain. I should not be doing the things that I'm doing, but I still am. And I would like to bullshit everybody that I'm talking to right now and say that I did it. I'm strong, but I'm not like it's yes. I have worked really, really hard but I've also been inspired and motivated and loved. And I've pulled strength from so many people around me. And I, I can't, I really can't say that I'm scared of, of too many things, but it's because I have that reassurance. I don't want to say it's God's will, but I have that reassurance that my life is on the, there's a purpose for my life right now. And maybe I've already lived it, like, but I'm not going to wake up fearful for another day or fearful of the things that I'm doing. That said, I am super insecure about some things in my life. You know, when I first lost my leg, I didn't give a shit that I wasn't going to be able to walk. I was afraid that like, oh my God, who's going to look at me differently? Who's going to whisper or point or can I wear a dress? Who, everyone is going to look at me differently. And that's hard for a young woman. I've been insecure in the past um, about, like you said, having kids or being married. And it's because some of the things that I did in the military and had to do in the military it made me question if I should ever, you know, deserve to be a mom, you know, and some of those things that you start to question them and you're being secure, but I don't think I can honestly say I'm scared that that's, that it's not going to happen in my, in my life. Like I'm not scared that, um, you know, as long as I'm successful and what like makes me happy in here and up here, I'm okay. And if I feel like I missed out on certain things in life, then 
so be it. I have other things to fill those voids. Um, do you own it all? Hmm? Sorry. You kind of broke up there. I was going to, I thought you were coming to an end, but go ahead. So scared. What? Oh no. I was just going to say, am I insecure about some things or uncertain about something? Sure. But I'm not scared. I'm not really fearful of, of what's to come next. Or so, not going to come. so you own it. You, you could, you could go to the Gulf shores today and get in a bikini, <laughs> get in a bikini and walk down the beach. And even though some people might not be adjusted or familiar with the prosthetic or cause we don't see a lot of, you don't see a lot of prosthetics in your everyday life in America. Okay. You just don't. So you own yeah. it now, Kirsty. you can no problem being on orange beach down there with a, uh, <laughs> Do you, with your dedication and your and your and your discipline, do you drink a mai tai on the beach, or do you just have a bottled water? Um, that's a question. Do you drink alcohol ever? I yeah, want to make I own sure. a brewery and a whiskey company. So. Listen to you. Look at this. I, mean, this. I knew. I knew. I knew there was way more interesting points about you. Just now, we're going to have to get into the entrepreneurial spirit of America <laughs> and how you're driving businesses now and brands. But you own it, so you could walk down Orange Beach in a bikini and be like. Check out my leg, no problem now. Hey, I'd be more I'd be more concerned about people looking at my lack of la- lack of abs at this point than my missing leg. <laughs> oh, to be stop. Totally no, to be totally honest, that's like I mean I think that comes with like be, just being a woman in general. But at this point in time, like I like initially, I was really really I didn't want people to look at it. It would, but now it's like it's not going to grow back. I might I might as well embrace it. I might as well learn to love it and appreciate the situation that I have, because if I make it awkward and uncomfortable, uncomfortable for people that, I mean, that's how they're going to respond to me. But if I can walk down that beach, you know, drinking my Mai Tai and people are more like, Hey, that leg's really cool, but she's fucking owning it. Like that's going to be what's more impactful than people being confused and scared or uncomfortable about my situation. So sure. There might be times where it's like, well, no, too many people are staring at once. That makes me a little nervous, but Again, it's not like anything that I'm doing. Like I might as well enjoy my day at the beach and feel good about it and let other people enjoy their day too and move along. I mean, so I, that you, didn't happen overnight though. So, so. <laughs> you, when you, I, I was going to go on to, you know, how long does it take somebody to get here? Because when you, when you start, when you think about the word fear, you also have to think about another um, feeling or sense in your body of anger is anger something that you deal with or battle with of why did this happen to me? Does your dad look at you and get pissed off because this happened to his daughter or with his military mindset and your mom's military mindset, are they so accepting of it? Because that's just one of the things that you have to accept or plan for, or potentially plan for when you're, when your little lovely daughter says, Hey, I'm following in your footsteps and I'm going in how does anger play a role? Do you, you know, road rage, do you ever get on the road and still get pissed (laughs) off at somebody? Or are you so patient now because you've looked at a helicopter going down like this, or do you still roll up the window and say, (laughs) how do you deal with anger when you have so much to be angry about? Anger has been, I mean, it's still, I mean, I mean, I deal with it every single day and anger. I feel like has just, been a part of my life now for so long, or at least the last six, seven years that I really had to figure out again, how to lean into it or how to at least do what I'm doing right now and laughing because it's not like 
I put my foot into my mouth all the time, pun intended. I say stupid shit. I act on impulse. I do get emotional. I have hurt feelings. You know, the, the, the laundry list of things goes on. But I also have to be open and honest about them. You know, I might get pissed off for five minutes and act a total fool, but I have to be able to be strong enough for myself and for the other, whoever the other person is, and come back and say, hey, that was wrong. I'm trying to be better. I could be better. Like, let's actually sit down and talk about whatever the situation may be. Or, you know, my dad, oh my God, like, must have been five years ago. I feel like he fought the idea of me losing my leg, especially losing as much of it as I did for the longest time. Like when I joined the Marine Corps, he begged me to do supplier admin. Like that's the only reason that my dad signed that paper when I was 17 years old to let me join because I was going to do a desk job. So then when he finds out that, oh shit, my kids, you know, volunteering for deployments, Afghanistan deployments at that three months apart and going back to back, like it was hard for him. And he was, I think he was more angry at me and that decision-making and not thinking about how it was affecting them. And now I try to be a little bit more conscious of that because if I'm going to sit here and walk around and be pissed off and miserable about my situation, it's going to affect all the people around me. And now I can say too, that like my dad, he recognizes the fact that if he stays mad at me for my decisions to serve or to deploy, or if he stays mad at the military or the government, you know, for sending his kid overseas, like it's not going to make anything better. Like, yeah, again, be pissed off from time to time or like me, like, <laughs> like I'm, I get mad every single day, but I also can stop myself and say, you know, what, what is this solving right now? You know, just because I'm pissed off over spilled milk, you know, what's it really going to do? Figure it out, be a problem solver, find a solution and make it better, make it right. I like that. I, I, I really like the fact that, the story has so many different levels that I didn't, I don't want to just sit here and ask, well, why did you go into the military and why did you be a gunner and a mechanic? And like, I feel like if somebody wants to know that they can get that part of the Kirstiana story, it's out there. It's documents it's been talked about a lot. I, I am so interested in at 30 years old, how you're going to, keep elevating yourself and keep motivating yourself and not living in fear of that brain report, because at any given time, maybe that brain report comes true. In reality, you just admitted Miss Kirsty, that your brain should not be functioning the way it is. I've always said, I'd love to live until I'm 80. As long as I'm sane, as long as my brain is keeping up, I don't really want to not have my brain working. When you think about things of that nature, do you ever have to stop and take a deep breath and maybe just like be like, holy shit, I got to freaking I got to I got to make sure that that I, I, I understand that I, I might not be doing this in a year for now. Does that ever sit in or do you just say balls to the wall all the freaking time? Let's roll. Balls to the wall all the freaking time. Let's roll. <laughs> That's how it is. It, it really is. Well, you know, everybody I mean, everybody from orthopedic surgeons to my prosthetist. There are so many people in my life that tell me to slow down and chill out, especially with uh, the prosthetic and just everything that I have going on with my body. And no, like I would much rather like, you know, make it to 50 and be like, holy shit, you did all of that. You lived your life for other people. You lived your life for yourself and like, and be totally at peace with it. Then make it to 80 
and be pissed off and not be able to remember anything anyway. It's like, I want to continue challenging my body, you know, changing the face of what it is to be injured, you know, redefining what it is to be disabled. I want to go out there and I don't mind doing things the hard way if I know that I can make it better for somebody else. And I know that I'm going out and testing the waters. I'm going out and I'm the one that's being able to, you know, really go out and and, and again, change the way that it looks for people like me. You know, so many people are told, like, stay in your wheelchair, stay in the hospital, take these drugs. But instead, you could actually be going out there and you could be dabbling in things that are challenging yourself mentally, physically, and emotionally and live far longer than anybody else ever dreamed. So for me, that's not going to happen. Like, I, I don't, I mean, one thing that I should be better about is slowing down and, you know, taking a break for, just like a mental reset, taking a real vacation because I don't even know the last time that I actually did that or learning to meditate. Probably don't have the attention span for that, but I might try it. Um, But other than that, like I want to keep doing the things that make me feel energized. You know, I want to keep riding that wave of adrenaline or just, you know, emotion because like that's what makes me feel alive. Um, Like I have die living tattooed on my arm right here and it's from my climb in 2017. It was down in Indonesia and it's called Karstens. It's a super gnarly, volatile, technical mountain. It was absolutely insane. We summited. Hurrah, hurrah. It was great. And then on the way down, it was absolute insanity. You know, I freaked out. You know, I hit this huge rappel section and, you know, the camera was turned off then. Like, I'm crying. I'm freaking out. And they looked at me and they say, like, this is where everyone dies. This is where everyone dies. And in that moment, like, I jokingly say that I found Jesus because I felt so much. It was, again, that anger. It was total fear, but I liked it. I loved it. And that's where like the mentality of, of die living in my life has come from. Wow. Maybe I'm a psychopath. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not, I won't argue with you. <laughs> I'd, have, I'd, have to, I'd have to, I'd have to dig in a little bit more. Um, since we're being transparent, are you going to have kids? Are you able to physically to have kids? It's hard to say. Um, I don't really know. And I don't really know. Um, I had a lot of injuries, as anybody can imagine, like helicopter crashes. Your insides are blown out. Your gunner's belt pulls you one way. You're, that's why my arms are all jacked up and everything else. Like, so it's hard to say. Um, I did go ahead and freeze my eggs just because maybe I'll have somebody else carry them for me one day. That said, it makes me really uncomfortable to think about carrying a child on one leg. Like I can't imagine trying to like walk through Target on crutches or something because your prosthetic leg won't fit anymore or being stuck in a wheelchair for nine months. I don't know. Like I think about falling down and I think about like how clumsy I can be throughout my day and obviously causing injury to a, a baby when I have this prosthetic leg that obviously I have to weight bear through my pelvic cradle now, you know, like, like there are so many little variables that they, it freaks me out a little bit. (laughs) Like, um, but I do like to think that at some point in my life, like I would enjoy the experience of being able to, to truly, you know, shape and mold and influence, you know, a a kid's life, you know, an individual's life. So I don't really know what that looks like. So what if, what if that kid is a little I don't care if it's boy or girl. Are you going to accept the fact when they come to you and say they're going on three months 
in between each deployment? Are you going to get pissed off like <laughs> mom and dad did? Are you going to be accepting that your kids want to follow in mommy's footsteps of serving the country when you know what can happen over there? I, 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 I might have to fight it a little bit internally and really sit with myself and my, and my thoughts towards it. But I mean, how big of a hypocrite would I be if, if I wasn't supportive, um, but you have a reason, but you have a reason to be, you have a prosthetic and you're in a helicopter wreck. Isn't that a, a good enough excuse for Kirstie Ennis to say, no, you're not going to go do that. No, absolutely not. Like, it's not okay for anybody to try and dictate anybody else's life. Don't get me wrong, until they're 18 years old, like, uh, hell yeah, you better be raising them and raising them right. But once they decide what they want to do with their, you know, adult life, um, like, why would I try to rob somebody of that? Like, if it's something that their hearts are in it and they want to make me proud because I wore the uniform, then absolutely. I mean, I did the same exact thing. You know, it doesn't have to be identical to the life that I've lived or led. But I should also be supportive of them, you know, figuring out who they are, their, like, truly who they are, you know, their identity and their purpose in life. And you know what? If, if that's what it comes down to, they say, hey, I want to serve four years, by all means. Or if they come back and they say, hey, I've done 24 deployments in 24 years, then okay, fine. So be it. I, I, I really would not be okay with myself if, if I tried to stop somebody from living their life the way that they wanted to, as long as it was a healthy, happy, healthy, health, happy, healthy, and honest one, you know, as long as they're not hurting anybody else, obviously that can be a little, um, <laughs> controversial being in the military. But again, as long as it's happy, healthy, and honest, I, um, yeah, I can't stand in anybody's way. How, how do we as human beings, Miss Kirstianis, live with a cancer diagnosis, a brain tumor, melanoma, um, with all of the diseases that we are faced with, have the chance of getting. You never know how life's going to play out. I often fear that day in the doctor's office when I meet somebody that's had to go through that and they get that word. Or we talked about St. Jude's. Your little boy has this. I've, I've taken families out and hunted with them that are five years can, uh, disease-free and that have went through that at thir- you know seven years old and fought all of that. How do we get through that, Ms. Kirsty? What do we tell ourselves when that day comes? Because more than likely, I had to face it when my dad died at 54 years old and I was on a trip in the, in the Pacific Northwest and I got the phone call from my widowed mom. I knew the the feeling that went through my body that day. And I don't know if I ever, I still don't know to this day if I, if I over it. Right. I don't know if we can get over that, but Kirsty, how do we, what do we tell ourselves? What do we do to be able to face that day when that message comes through on our phone or in person in a doctor's office? I'm going to use, I'm going to compare a lot of that to, to what I've been through at this point. And, you know, honestly, it's, it's being able to look outward, you know, because in my darkest, nastiest moments, I thought I was alone. Like when I was getting these diagnoses or when I was being like, again, you go and get those brain scans or, you know, finding out that I have a two and a half inch tumor and, the, you know, the residual side of, of my body. Like it was always being able to remind myself of a, my why, like, why am I still fighting? I mean, cause we can sit there and we can get down and we can hyper fixate on, 
all the negative things that are going to happen, or you can remember your why, you know, why am I going to choose to still live? Who am I going to continue living for? So on and so forth. Um, and then also just being able to lean into the people around you. Like it's so easy to feel like you're alone. I've been there. I've, there are times that I'm still there, you know, um, but being able to, to really be vulnerable and communicate with the people around you, like that's where I got my strength from. And that's wholeheartedly where I think everybody else uh, gets their strength from too, at the end of the day, like you have to remind yourself why you're still living and, and who you're still living for. When you're reminding yourself, Miss Kirstie, of why you're living, tell me how you live with so many big accomplishments, what little things mean something to you does your morning coffee still get you fired up do you like the idea of being that little girl and dressing like a barbie doll once in a while or doing your makeup do you <laughs> do you smile at a puppy do you like cats um do you watch soap operas what tv shows do you like is there anything the little things ever make you smile like you're smiling right now all the time i mean you have to i mean Again, I mean, I find every situation, like if you actually spent a day with me, you'd realize that I probably spend two and a half hours of every single day just laughing. Like I really do try to find like the little joys in life because I mean, they add up. I mean, just like trying to reach a goal, like you're not going to, um, you know, create global change overnight, but you have to be able to like set those small goals and attack those small things. So for me, it's collect those small moments that make you happy as well and recognize those small moments. I love to bake. I am a freak for baking cupcakes. I, I love to cook. I love to smoke things. That's came out wrong. Like prime rib. <laughs> now I'm starting to or now I'm starting now, now I'm starting to understand why your abs are going away. You're eating cupcakes and I, I don't nachos. Oh, you just baked them. Yes. Oh, yeah. Look at this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I make them after like an old fashioned cupcake. Like they're very, they're very, very creative. <laughs> um, but even just sitting outside, go, walking down to the river with my dog. Um, some of the shows that I watch are pretty morbid. So that's probably not a good example, but you know, just being able to even sit here and have this conversation with you today. Like these are the things that make me happy. These are the things that add value to my day to day. Do you watch the first 48 on A&E? That's not a commercial for that show, but I love that show. The first 48 no. hours of a homicide investigation. Oh, yeah. You need to get into the show. It's like, it, it's, it's like in 17 seasons. It's freaking bad ass. Okay. I know you said you owned a, a distillery and a whiskey company and a brewery, and I love that. I want to have another one of these and, and get to know you more because I, I'm truly inspired by all everything that you stand for. I think it's so awesome what you're doing. Um, I really appreciate you spending time with me today and letting our audience hear um, the things that I wanted to know about you because life is a mother, you know what sometimes, <laughs> and we all face adversity, but life is so precious and it's so awesome. It's so unbelievable to think that I can walk out my door right now and go climb a mountain and have my binoculars find me a deer and garner the skill set to harvest that deer with compassion for that deer and then be able to butcher that deer and process that deer and cook that deer with Kirstie Ennis and eat the backstrap with smiles on our face, paying homage to our military 
and our first responders and our moms and our dads and our grandparents and the pioneers and the trailblazers. We don't take anything for granted. When you have the right mindset, in my opinion, and you're living life the way life was intended, which kind of sounds kind of soapboxish, but I don't know if there, <laughs> I don't know if there is a right way to live life, but I sure as hell have figured out what the, the people that I know that are living life that, that I call the right way, it seems like they all have this mindset that we've discussed today. And I think that your mindset is contagious, but I also love the fact that you're vulnerable, that you freaking like a Mai Tai on the beach, that you like a walk <laughs> to the river with your dog. So let's talk about some of these things that maybe we don't think about very often of like who – Jack Daniels hot seat is what I call this, Kirsty. And I know that you have a whiskey oh. company, but Jack Daniels is the, the title sponsor of our podcast. You know, I know Lear is bringing us this episode today, but this is what I call the Jack Daniels hot seat. Um, who do you go watch this Friday night tonight? Who's the concert you pick to go watch tonight? Are you a Slipknot fan? Out of anybody. Is it Guns N' okay. Roses? Because I'm an Axel fan. <laughs> or are you a George Strait girl? Are you a Millie Vanilli lip sync fan because you love karaoke? Like, what do you go watch tonight, Kirstie Ennis? <laughs> <laughs> you are going to judge me. So. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> so if I could go tonight, I would actually go and watch Kid Rock. So let me oh, preface that I love more. Kid I love Bobby okay. Ritchie. So, so I'm actually taking my mom and my dad up to Sturgis this year. I'm going to be there. Mom, I'm going to be there I'm gonna, on Sunday, Perfect. Sunday, August 8th. I'll be at Kid Rock with you. Well, there we go. <laughs> yes. Look at this. This is going to be badass. <laughs> I'm serious. Um, I'm going to be up there with Jack, yeah. da- with Jack Daniels. Oh, well, for real. <laughs> yeah. Definitely get a hold of me. I will. Um, Hey, but I mean, Kid Rock, he has like hood sliding competitions and catfish fries. I'm like, you know what? That's just, that's my kind of guy. He was in Joe Dirt. He was in freaking Joe yeah. Dirt. Yeah. Yeah. He, Bobby Ritchie is a badass, dude. I mean, his songs, I, I'm, I, I've seen him so many times live. I mean, he's just like, I've been a Kid Rock fan since 1989 or 90. It was first CD. People don't even know about the CD that he put out, but he has a CD back in the day. And uh, I'll send you, it's, it's got some nastiness to it, but Kid Rock is the man. Okay, so you're walking around there. What what are you holding in your hand? I know we said Mai Tai at Orange Beach, but what do you, what does Kirstie Ennis prefer? Is it a cold beer, Bud Light? Um, or is it, um, that was another little product pitch right there, Kirstie. What do you have in your hand? Uh, it would be a beer. I would have to say a beer because normally I would go for a whiskey. However, that's a long time to be at a concert and things can get crazy real quickly. So probably, uh, yeah, a beer, cold beer, Bud Light, like you said. And you're with mom. And if we, you're, you're at, you've said the F word on this podcast. You've said the S word. Oh, yeah. You've, uh, does your mom and dad know that you talk like this? And I'm going to say, what's going to happen when mom and dad are watching Bobby Ritchie and he drops an F-bomb up there? Do you cover your mom's ears or is your mom just like you? And y'all are like, bring more. Bring it on. <laughs> um, well, for the longest time, I wouldn't cuss around either one of them. And then over time, like, I think I cuss more around my mom than my dad because my dad, oh man, He's he'll hear school. me say the F-word in person. And he will bust my ass. Like, he'll listen to this later, and he'll get a kick out of it. But if I say it in front of him, 
he'll get so mad at me and my mom, but my mom and I, on the other hand, uh, yeah, she, she'll, uh, she'll drop them with me, but they both love Kid Rock too. Um, they know what they're getting themselves into. So good for them. <laughs> I want to, why, why did you think that I would judge you because of Kid Rock? <laughs> I don't know. Well, because some of the stuff that he says is nasty. Do you spend spend time in Nashville? Have you been to his honky tonk on Broadway? I haven't been to his honky tonk, but I have been to Nashville quite a few times. Is it not the best? Yes, it's great. Is it not the freaking best? That's good. What's your favorite color? Oh, um, can I be lame and pick gray? Gray. (laughs) If I can't, if I can't pick gray, (laughs) if I can't pick gray, then it would be green. What's the funniest movie ever made? I've ever made? No, ever made. What's the funniest movie ever made? <laughs> Not you. The funniest movie ever made? I oh, hope I, I'm, I'm going to yeah. see how much we have in common on this. I'm not even yeah. going to give a hint. <laughs> funniest? Ah, there's there's quite a few. I don't know. I'm again. I, I'm going to say Super Troopers, but it's because I've watched it five thousand times, and I can sit down and watch it again right now. Y'all ever been to Mexico? Um, <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I love it, but I I go every time. My favorite all time funniest movie, and you you're at the age that you would, I thought you would say this, but Super Troopers a good one. But I'm going with Wedding Crashers from beginning to end. Oh, okay, hilarious. Yeah, well, not pretty good. You got to watch it again today. You have to watch yeah. it again today. That okay. super bad and Hangover Part One. Super, super bad. Yeah. Well, and actually hangover. So that's another one. My dad will come home. So my dad's um, down in Alabama. He works in the pipeline now. But every time he comes home to visit me, it's hangover. I can't tell you how many times I've watched that movie too. Every single time. Oh God. <laughs> it is so funny. Well, we've said a lot. We're going to do this again. We're going to hang out at Sturgis at the Buffalo Chip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, personal question. <laughs> like we haven't gotten pretty personal today. Right? Do, Do you, you want kids? With, <laughs> with the prosthetic, can you dance good? I can. <laughs> depends on what kind of dance. Swing but dancing. Yeah. Can you go fast? I, guess, on, I, I still can. Yeah. Look at this. This is freaking all. I, we might have to swing dance one time. All right. Try. We might have to do it. Um, this has been awesome. This has been uh, really cool. I'm glad that Lear helped set this up. You're proud of your association and representation of the Lear brand, correct? 100%. They, you, they've been a huge part of my life, my foundation, um, and, and they really do um, give me the access to be able to do everything that I do now. They have sponsored every climb, every clinic that I've done through the foundation, every initiative, every mission that I've ever done, it's good people and, and even better products. So it's unbelievable. Like you mentioned the word brotherhood and then you like, you know, like when, when people are, um, on a, on a Harley, they like, you know, they waved each other because they're in the club, right? Like it's amazing how many freaking people have leers on their trucks, right? Like when you start paying attention, you're like, Holy shit, is Lear the yeah, only Lear. topper company that makes these things? Like, there's no competition. And I'm like, I'm yeah. waving to people, and they're like, I wonder what he's waving at. I'm like, oh, you got that four-letter word on the back of your camper there, right? Like, I, it's, yeah. like a, it's like a brotherhood and a sisterhood to have a Lear, right? 100%. I love it. All right, so I'm going to end this. Let's schedule another one so we can get more into life. I want to keep talking about life with you. Life. With okay. Kirstie Ennis. Perfect. With Kirstie Ennis. Okay. This will be this podcast. <laughs> okay. That's what this series is going to be called. Lear, life, 
Lear presents life with Kirsty. I'm going to come up with something more clever than that. That's already been done, but it's going to be, we're going to keep talking about life because you've educated me a lot. I know our listeners are going to be like, man, I got to get my ass out of bed. My feet are on the ground. We're on this side of the freaking dirt today. Let's kick some yeah. ass, right? Kirsty, we're, we're, we're not pushing up daisies. We're freaking living, right? Like we can be sad. Here's what a good friend of mine. And I want you to, when we get off of this, I want you to look up the music by Brent Cobb. Okay. C-O-B-B, B-R-E-N-T-C-O-B-B. I want you to listen to a song called Shine On Rainy Day. It's going to make you cry because I cry every time I hear it, but you've had rainy days and the way that you talk today, you look at the sky and you tell God shine on rainy day, even though it's gloomy, even though it's dark, Hey, bring it shine on. We need darkness in our life. It's okay. This is where I was going with what Brent taught me in a, in a podcast. And he's become a dear friend of mine. He's one of the best there ever, ever has been and ever will be in songwriting. Mark my words. Um, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to wake up and be in a weird place. And he told me this, do yourself a favor. Cause you made mention of this an hour ago. Put the phone away for the first 45 minutes to an hour of your day. And if you want to lay in that dark room and look up at the ceiling, so be it. If you want to get a cup of coffee and walk to the river with your huge dog, so be it. <laughs> but don't pick up the phone and worry about what the frick is going on in the world and what everybody else is doing on social media or how many emails came in overnight. And I live on the West Coast and I got a lot of business partners on the East Coast. So I know that I'm going to be just inundated with messages starting at 8 a.m. Eastern, which is only 5 a.m. out here, which I'm awake, but I'm going to live <laughs> by this creed. I don't want to pick up my phone first thing. And it's hard to discipline yourself to do it. It's so hard with the mentality of our society today to not pick up your phone within the fifth, first hour that you that you open your eyes. So Brent Cobb taught me this, Miss Kirstie Ennis, is look at that dog. That dog is huge. Is that Turner and Hooch? Is that Turner and Hooch, Tom Hanks? Um, so he taught me that, Kirstie. Don't pick up your phone. Think on your own. Yep. Figure out what, how, how blessed we are and privileged we are to be here because of folks like you that fought for our freedoms and lost a leg for our freedoms. This is incredible what you've done. Thank you. I, I have a feeling we're going to, we're going to have fun at Sturgis. <laughs> I'm going to high five your dad. I'm going to say your daughter cusses a lot, dude. <laughs> he cusses a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Do you have any closing words? No, just thank you. And I really appreciate um, just your questions and the conversation. You know, I've done a handful of these podcasts. And as you mentioned earlier, um, I do speaking engagements from time to time. And, you know, to really have somebody take the time to ask me thought provoking questions and, and to take this threat, the direction that you did. I mean, I, I see why you do what you do. It really was an awesome experience. And, and thank you, man. You're awesome for saying that. I'm going to take that little out and I'm going to send that to Howard Stern and say, see, bro, I'm the real king of media. <laughs> Just kidding. That is Kirstie Ennis. Where can we find you? I don't even want to, I don't know if I want to send people to your social. I love your website and I love, oh, I wanted to read this. Hold on. Don't go anywhere. I wanted to read this to the audience. This is pretty badass real quick. Hold on. Come here, Cooper. Chill out. Show the world that we control our circumstances. They do not control us. So everybody that's listening, please do yourself a favor and go to the Kirstie. Okay. I, I said that wrong. Kirstie Ennis foundation, not the Kirstie, Kirstie Ennis foundation.com and read her mantras. Like this is what's cool about 
this website with a human being like Kirsty that could take up thousands of pages of who she is and what she's accomplished. Her bio is relatively short. There's some words of advice and mantras on there. There's a tiny bit about her story, but it's not like, holy shit, it's all about me. That's what's so cool to read your website is like, you know, in a day and age that everybody wants the likes, you said something during this podcast and we're going to pick this up on part two. And I want people to think about this. (laughs) Why is it so hard for somebody successful, mid successful? to accept a compliment. Why do we deflect so much in life? Why can't I stand there and have you tell me, wow, man, that those are good ribs. I'm always like, oh, well, I, I learned that recipe from this guy, or I don't need to hear that. I just did my thing, right? Like, oh, you've done it. Like you just gave me a compliment. And I'm like, holy shit, I don't know how to, I gotta, I gotta come up with a joke and deflect this off of me to Howard Stern. When really that's such a heartfelt statement you made, it makes the, the goosebumps on me, no pun intended. Like when you said, put your foot in your mouth, which is freaking hilarious. <laughs> it makes the goosebumps stand up on me that somebody like you realizes that, but I automatically deflected it. Why do we do that? We got to figure that out. I need you to come up with a study and a thesis and a hypothesis first, (laughs) Miss Kirstie Ennis, of why in the hell do we do that? You've accomplished it. You deserve to be complimented, but you don't feel that. It's a weird mindset. It's freakish. It's so weird when people are like, Donald Trump is the biggest egotistical prick in the world. But when somebody gives him a compliment, he deflects it off of him within five seconds. So how is egotistical? Like I ask myself, who are these egos that people are, where are these egos that are people talking about? Because I don't even like hearing that I'm good at anything, which I'm average at best at everything that in my opinion. So it's like, it's like, we got to figure this out. Me, our, you and I, our next podcast is going to be on deflection. So we need to come up with some studies, not a lot of studies. We need to go off. We need to go off the cuff, off the head, freestyle. And like, I can freestyle rap like a mofo. I'm sure you can too. Maybe we'll do it with Kid Rock at, at, at Stern. That's Kirstie Ennis, KirstieEnnisFoundation.com. She is a true American badass. It's been a privilege to have her on This Life Ain't For Everybody. Today's episode, again, is brought to you by Lear Toppers. Check them out, L-E-E-R. I love seeing it on the back of trucks. They have so many great products out there. Thank you, Lear, for believing in us. And thank you so much for what you do for the Kirstie Ennis, Ennis Foundation. She just admitted it. Lear has been there every step of the way. And of course, thank you, Jack Daniels. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. Tom, Jake, we're changing up the song today. Even though the song that we always play here, written by Drake White and Leith Lofton, performed by my good buddy, a.k.a. Haas, Leith Lofton, what's she going to do when the money's all gone? This song is called Shine On Rainy Day because talking to this woman that I just got to spend an hour and a half with has made me feel like, bring it. It's okay. It's okay when it's gloomy outside. Keep shining on, whether personally shining on or telling God to keep bringing it because it doesn't matter if the clouds are pouring rain. That's part of life. We're going to have dark days. There's so many lessons that I learned today talking to the great, the one and only Kirstie Ennis. She's a badass. We will be back with part two with her soon. Tom, Jake, hit that button. This is Brent Cobb, Shine On Rainy Day. Shine on rainy day. Friend once told me, he said, boy, you sound so lonely, all those 
cheating 